You're listening to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the Building a Family Business Show with Wes and Brooks Powell. Let's dive in. The Powell family construction business has been around for over 110 years. Over that time, it's evolved and been through four generations of the Powell family. What started as a new construction business building spec homes in the Seattle area evolved to building communities, remodeling, building custom homes, and then getting involved with property management. Today, the business currently owns and operates two retirement and assisted living facilities, several apartment buildings, and does third-party property management in the Seattle area with about 750 total doors under management. Over the last several decades, Wes and Brooks have seen it all when it comes to business evolution, family dynamics in the construction industry. This is the show where I work to extract their knowledge and experiences to help you navigate family dynamics, among other things, in your construction business. Let's dive into the show. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk to you about BuildBook, who in addition to sponsoring this episode, they've developed a program to help all of you during this extremely difficult time. If you don't know what they do, they offer a tool that funnels all the conversations and decisions that occur between you, your team, and your client before, during, and after projects into one place and made it dead simple to use. They've taken something that is chaotic for most of you, like staying on top of all the messages you're getting over text, phone calls, job site conversations, you name it, and brought it into one channel that's simple for anyone on your team to use. Look, I don't need to tell you guys this, but good, clear communication with your clients and team is more critical now than it has ever been. BuildBook knows how important this is for you as well, but also knows the strain this crisis is having on your business. So they're offering their software to you for free. Yes, you heard that correctly. To help you get through this unprecedented time, BuildBook has put together a program to provide you with some free resources, including their software. It's an amazing opportunity that I strongly encourage you to take advantage of. So hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777. That's one word, BUILDBOOK. They'll immediately send you a link that brings you directly to the page to sign up. There are no strings attached. It's just their way of doing what they can to support your business. So go ahead and hit pause and text BUILDBOOK, one word, to 33777 to get your free account. All right, let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, welcome back to Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio. Spencer here with Wes and Brooks today. How are you guys doing? Hey, doing great. Fantastic. Good, good. Well, uh, before we get into the show today, I, I figured I'd ask you guys, because I'm always reading something new, but what are you guys reading these days, Wes? Uh, well, right now I'm reading a couple of books, but I guess the one that I'd recommend, uh, which is actually trying to be pretty good, I'm about halfway through it, it's called Good Profit by Charles Koch. He's uh, one of the Koch brothers who I think is probably more famous nationally just for being kind of a conservative uh, supporter of politics and so on. But generally, I mean, what most people probably don't know is that he made a pretty large fortune, you know, many like $60 billion or something. Um, self-made guy. So, and he talks about his management system. So I think it's pretty, pretty interesting. I think you can apply it to any business. So anyway, I recommend that one. Very cool. Brooks, yeah, yeah are you reading anything interesting uh, right you, now? Uh, I'm just jumping into a book that, uh, West recommended called Factfulness by Hans Rosling, and uh, it looks pretty good. Just uh, just starting that, and uh, it's about 
10 reasons we're wrong about the world and why things are better than you think. So recommended by Bill Gates, who I, anything that Bill Gates recommends, I try to read yeah. uh, because I, I really uh, respect what he's trying to do in, uh, with his foundation. And another book that I always recommend, um, think again, New Money Choices, Old Money Mints by Karen Ramsey. So she's a local uh, financial planner here in the Seattle area. It's always just a good one to reread. So um, I always dig into that one on a regular basis, kind of remind me about uh, how to interact with money and my relationship with money. So highly recommend that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And Wes, I know you had mentioned, I think you had mentioned that factfulness book. Yeah, too, right. And there, book. Yeah. What was one of the, you were telling me some example about, you know, because you. Um, well, I think one of the, yeah. one of the interesting yeah, points that he brings out is, uh, so he does this all with numbers and graphs. And so uh, what he points out is that the world is much better off than it was even 50 years ago. And so he has some numbers around poverty and the fact that 90% of the world no longer lives in extreme poverty, whereas 100 years ago, probably 90% of the world lived in extreme poverty. So it made huge strides in those areas. And he kind of walks through everything, healthcare, um, uh, economic activity, uh, climate change. He handles it all in the book and from a factual perspective. And he's a researcher, he's from uh, Sweden. Um, he has passed on uh, since he wrote this book. But anyway, I I'd highly recommend that book. It was recommended to me by uh, Brooks, uh, our other brother, Todd. So Todd had read it and he said, man, you guys got to read this. Very cool. Yeah, well, we'll make sure to, to link those up in the show notes too. We'll probably uh, give you guys a few book recommendations along the way. Uh, I think the three of us are all pretty avid readers. We enjoy it, but uh, oh, we'll, since we'll we're doing sure. book recommendations too, yeah, Spence, yeah let's do uh, the slight edge with Jeff Olson. Classic, great classic. <laughs> Got to have the classic. Yeah, I feel yeah. like it's classic in our family for sure. I don't know if yeah, everyone says sure. classic as soon as you say right, yeah. <laughs> the slight edge, but kind uh, of a slim paperback, but definitely yeah. a life changer for you. So yeah, yeah, quick, quick read and, and a good yeah. one. Um, but I, I definitely spent, I always, I get most of, I do have some physical books I like to read, but uh, definitely I listen to everything on audible. Um, so I can listen to it while I'm driving. And um, so that I find that very helpful or I can listen to it while I'm, you know, working in the yard or doing something else where uh, you need my hands free. So uh, that's another way to catch some of these books. If you're not, you know, some people don't like to sit down and read, but that's a great way to, you know, get, get through something. What yeah. I don't understand though, really bricks is why when you're, you know, on audible, you, you like to mute it. So <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure why that is. I thought it was weird, but I seem to get through it a lot faster that way. Yeah, Once I can listen yeah. to music at the same time. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, and I find faster. too, if you do the double speed on mute and then, you know, that's even better. <laughs> really quick. You yeah. can just look at the screen. Oh, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole big discussion, you know, uh, in the car about how fast are we going to listen to this book? <laughs> it's going to go 4X. Yeah. yeah. It depends. Are we going to have it on mute or not? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've switched over to Audible a lot too, especially with uh, with Carter, you know, running around everywhere. And it's tough to, to find time to just sit down and read. But yeah, when you're driving or at the gym or something like that, then you can still get your, your learning in. So, yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, today we're going to talk about growth and it's a fairly large topic, but I think there's a lot of, uh, kind of 
decision points that you have to make as you think about growing. A lot of business owners and people that are listening to this, I know you guys are all trying to grow your businesses, uh, but it's not always as simple as, oh yeah, I want to grow. Like, let's just make it happen. You know, there are, uh, you know, a number of things that are involved there. And so um, I guess I'll just open up the discussion with thinking about um, kind of what comes first. Is it, you know, selling enough so that you have enough revenue to now invest in, you know, marketing and lead gen or new people, or is it you you're investing in marketing or can you invest your time? Like where, where do you start if somebody say at like, a half a million in sales or a million in sales and they're going, I need to get to the next level. I need to grow. You know, Brooks, how do you think about this concept of, you know, investing in growth? Um, well, the thing that I always think about is where, where do my leads come from? So I really come at it from a lead standpoint, a uh, sales standpoint. Um, so let's say you're doing 500 grand a year. Um, you know, first steps I would take a look at is, you know, what makes up that 500 grand a year in sales? What type of products, what, you know, what type, is it kitchens? Is it bathrooms? Is it, um, you know, single family homes? You know, where is that? What is the product type and where did those customers come from and start there? Uh, so you can really understand, well, gee, if I want to go to a million or go to 2 million, do, am I getting more of that same kind of client? Am I getting a different client? I mean, the easiest thing is to say, you know what, we've been successful with this type of client. Let's just find more of those clients. And then I always recommend spending the money to generate more of those clients. And once you have the sales, you'll figure out how to, you know, produce the product. So that's a whole nother discussion, but I always start with lead generation and generating the sales because that's the dollars the reverse of build it and they will come. It's like generate the lead, sell it, and then figure out how to build it. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, that makes a lot of sense because in, you know, in some respects you're thinking, okay, I've got, you know, this number of sales and I'm getting them from these sources and it's not like they're just going to magically appear to get to the next level. I mean, sometimes that happens in business, but it's not really a good strategy to lean on, but uh, call that a strategy. Yeah, yeah. Hope isn't a strategy. Yeah. Hope is not a strategy. <laughs> uh, but Wes, how do you, how do you think about, you know, this? Well, I do agree with what Brooks is saying. I think uh, I'd probably take it back one more step. I'd probably go right back to sitting down with your partners, family, whoever, sit down with yourself and get to decide what your goals are. I mean, why, why do you want to grow? What, what's the reason behind it? You know, uh, Simon Sinek's always, you know, what's the why? Um, and I would probably go there first because that's going to provide you the motivation, I think, to really drive through and put everything else in place and go. So if you start with the why, and why am I doing this? Why do I want to grow? Okay. And then from there, you can say, well, if I want to grow for these reasons, you know, I want to send my kids to college or I need, you know, X amount of money to do these different things I want to accomplish. Then you can start to reverse engineer everything from there. Um, and I think maybe we'll talk later about, you know, how much money or, you know, NOI or, but you need to start with how much, where do I want to end up? And then start to work backwards to that. And then eventually you'll absolutely get to where Brooks is talking about, which is, hey, you know, how many leads do I need? You know, this is a marketing driven process. That, that's where I probably started just, hey, why do I want to do this? Um, I had a conversation with a, 
remodeler a couple of weeks ago and they said, well, you know, what's your volume? And he said, well, you know, I'm 2 million. And um, so <laughs> in my mind, I made a mental note and then I asked him, I said, so uh, how big do you want to get? What do you think he said? I have no idea what he said. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with either I don't know or I just want to grow and it was vague. Oh, no. He, he gave me a number. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, I, I'd then, say probably five million. Four million. Four million. Right. Double. So it, it, I call it the double rule. I mean, if you talk to almost any business owner and uh, they're not happy with the volume that they're doing and you say, well, you know, where do you want to get to? If they're at one, they want to go to two. If they're at 500,000, they want to go to a million. Everyone always wants to double. And so that's why I was saying, you know, hey, let's think about our goals first because there's kind of the knee-jerk reaction. I don't know what it is, human nature. I've certainly done it myself where I'm going, well, yeah, I'm at 2 million sales. I'd like to be at four, you know, somehow that's nirvana. And that's the, you know, everything will be rosy and great, you know, at 4 million. And if you get to four, you'll be going, yeah, I think I need to go eight. I think, you know, so anyway, it's kind of a never ending uh, quest, I guess. So get your goals. Yeah. And, and in thinking about that, that why, uh, I'm curious, why did you guys want to continue to grow? And, and thinking back to the businesses that you've been involved with, you know, why did you guys want to keep pushing it? Yeah. Well, I, I for me, you know, I did want to make more money, uh, for sure. As it's especially my first business where I'm going, man, I need to make more money. I've got three kids. Uh, everyone wants to go to college. Um, and so in my mind, definitely bigger was better. I don't know if I equated that to, I just assumed that top line growth would equal bottom line growth, which maybe we can talk about that a little bit later, but you know, it doesn't always equate that way, but that was it for me. I didn't, I didn't really sit down at that time and, and make that conscious, uh, decision or thought process. I just thought, well, bigger has got to be better. Um, and now I think I would probably approach that a little bit differently. Yeah, uh, what do you think, yeah, no, I think the, yeah, when you, when you're starting out, you're like, well, bigger is better, but you, you circle back, I think circling back constantly to what your goals are, like, you know, how much money do you want to make individually? How much money do you want the business to make, um, to, you know, to fulfill your goals or your, you and your partner's goals, and then from there, you can build, you know, build your business plan because it, it comes down to net operating income and, and what your margins are. And then that can drive what your sales volume you know, should be. And then that would be a more calculated approach to growth, which is, gee, the business I have right now is not meeting my personal financial goals, my larger long-term financial goals. Uh, and how well am I going to accomplish that? Because you can accomplish that by increasing your net profit and not increasing sales. You could just say, hey, we're really super inefficient. And instead of making 5% net profit, we should be making 12% because that's the, the industry standard. And um, really holding yourself accountable to being profitable, to paying yourself the correct wage. Um, we were always very diligent about paying ourselves the correct salary for the jobs we're doing. And if and we should be profitable after paying ourselves for those you know, those roles. If you're not taking a salary and you're not profitable, then you really have to dig deeper. You know, and, and, uh, I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you're saying, Brooks, because it's very easy. I think, you know, to chase after the big job, you know, I think anyone is in the custom business, you know, maybe had an experience where they've 
this huge custom job and and they cut everything in order to make it work you know they really um and then they found out hey it really didn't add anything to their bottom line at the end of the day so it was just took up a lot of resources took and up a lot of resources and yeah and maybe do some other jobs that you could have made a good margin on yeah. um so and I think that's also part of the growth strategy too, is deciding who your best customers are, what's the right size job, and really spending some time thinking about that instead of going, hey, I'm gonna take anything that walks in the door. Um, you can make a lot more money and be a lot more efficient if you say, hey, I do kitchens only, or I do baths only, or you know, the more narrowly you can focus and still accomplish your top line and bottom line goals, uh, the more money you're going to make, I think. Um, you're going to become more efficient and then you're just chasing the leads that are the right leads for right. you. And it makes it very much easier for uh, your staff, um, whoever's answering the phone, if someone calls in and says, gee, you know, I want to build a, a teepee. You said, well, we don't do teepees. We just do kitchens. And it, it, then you're, you're filtering those prospects very early on and just getting to the the prospects and the leads you want to talk to that you know you want to do business with. It starts to make your marketing a lot more efficient too. And Spencer, of course, you can certainly talk to this, but if you're creating content, things around that you're using to attract leads to your business, if you're going, well, let's see, I need to create content to uh, target um, this particular segment and I got to create more content to target another segment, all of a sudden you're really um, spreading your fire and if you can really concentrate in on that, you'll you'll be more efficient, you'll spend less money in marketing, and you'll get better leads. Yeah, I think that's a good point because, you know, initially when we started our company, we were basically serving a number of audiences and you you realize you're going, okay, well, I have to market to this segment and to this segment and to this segment. And you're going, well, this just is getting really, well, one, expensive and two, complicated because you're having to basically do the same thing repeated two, three, four, five times, it just looks different because you're targeting a different audience or you might have to go find a different location to do that marketing, whether that's a certain, you know, trade show or magazine or place online, a community that these prospects hang out in. And so, um, yeah, I think that that focus, you know, you guys talked about it from the ideal client standpoint and what you deliver you know, in terms of the service, you can get really efficient, but definitely on the marketing side, you can get really efficient as well. Um, so Brooks, maybe let's talk a little bit about when you were growing the the renovation division. And, uh, and I guess, maybe just talk through kind of some of the examples as you guys were thinking, I know, at one point, you, um, you know, said, hey, we really got to ramp this up. And I think that was after the, the home building side had come scaled way down uh, in the Great Recession. But what types of things did you do for, for marketing? And then did you try to hire salespeople or, you know, maybe just walk us through that a little bit and how you thought about that growth strategy there? Yeah, you bet. Um, you know, we were really stuck. We were, you know, we had gone from building 50 houses a year, um, scattered around Seattle to the, in 2011, we were down to, we built three. Wow. And so we went from doing, you know, 12, $13 million a year back then and $2,008 to, uh, you know, $400,000 or something. It was just so a terrible decline. And we, we were out of money, out of gas. And we're like, okay, how are we going to dig our way out of this? And really came back to, well, we're going to, we're going to go into new lines of work. And renovations was one of them. 
and a handyman division was another one. And we had already been in custom homes. So we continued in that. And we went to lead generation and we started with that. And we worked on lead generation for a year before we even started. And we started doing a few little remodeling jobs to get our feet wet, but we probably generated leads for a year before we hired a salesperson. And we developed our sales process during that first year. And both myself and my brother Todd sold until we could figure out what was the right sales process. Then we brought on a sales manager who was paid on commission based on sales. And then he helped us manage ourselves and refine the sales process. And then we hired a salesperson who was on commission. And so it was based on what we sold. So we, the, the cash out the door was the lead generation. So it was, you know, ad, you know, pay-per-click um, ads, whether they were paper ads or you know, Google ads or whatever we decided was the right platform. And it would be different. You know, it's going to be different year over year. And, um, and so that's how we kind of bootstrapped our way up because we just didn't have the cash. And most people don't. I mean, it's not like you're sitting on a big piggy bank and you're like, oh, we're just going to go spend, you know, all this money. Because in, in construction, you know, nobody, it's not like you're going to go out and get uh, angel investors. Right. Yeah. So you're not going to get this, you know, $3 million. There's a startup in our area that's in the renovation business and it's all technology driven. And I think their startup funding was like 30 million. I'm like, <laughs> unheard of, but it's around this concept of we're going to do it with technology. So it's a technology play versus a construction play. So it's an interesting approach, but so we spent quite a bit of time on lead generation, figuring out how to generate leads, how to convert, um, and then how to produce the product. And then we took that from zero sales to, I think by 2013, we were up to 10 million and, uh, and maintain profitability, which is the key part. I think that's super smart, Bricks, because I mean, I, I think most business people, myself included, fall in the trap of going, well, I want to grow 10% this year. Of course, in your case, it's more extreme. You're trying to grow a lot more um, just because of how Desperation. Steep. Yeah. Desperation is <laughs> really helps, doesn't it, man? It does. It's very motivating. <laughs> yeah. Running from the bear, right? <laughs> so yeah, but certainly um, uh, but most people say, hey, I just want to grow. And then they don't really take it much beyond that. And then a year goes by and they're going, Well, I wonder why I didn't grow this year without ever taking the time to walk through the steps and going, Well, where do my customers come from? How am I going to get more leads? How am I going to talk to more people? What are my key metrics? Yeah, what are my key metrics? You know, if I talk to 10 people, how many people will I actually close? You know, or do I close anyone? You know, do I need to talk to 100 people? Um, and I think that then just becomes a, a numbers game. And Spence, I remember, um, you know, when you were starting out the, the inbound marketing business, um, you kind of figured that out on the, on the funnel side, you know, how many people do you need to talk to? And and you did some fairly extreme things, you know, when we were totally unknown to, to generate leads in terms of sending out emails and talking to people. I thought that was pretty interesting. Just he worked the numbers and did it. I thought that's an interesting story too, if you want to share that one. Yeah, yeah, it, I think it, um, I was just thinking about what Brooks was talking through and, and it got me thinking, you know, there's always options, you know, in terms of 
the way I think about it, if you want to grow, it's either going to be time or dollars, you know? And so uh, in your case, Brooks, you're kind of saying, Hey, we, we said, we're going to invest some dollars in lead gen. And then that's going to lead us to, uh, you know, hiring some salespeople, but you did that at a low dollar investment where you did it heavily commission-based, which I liked that approach is like, hey, this is the situation we're in. We're going to go out and find somebody that's willing to go hunt and be on commission. Um, and so you've got less risk because it's just based on revenue coming in the door. Uh, whereas when I had first started and kind of what Wes was referring to is I put in a lot of extra time and we hosted some online webinars and did some different things like that, but nobody knew who we are. So I just literally went to LinkedIn and spent from, you know, 7 p.m. till 9 or 10 p.m. every night for like a few months inviting people personally one by one to these webinars and saying, hey, we're doing this free webinar. Here's the topic. But then people started to, to get to know us. And then after we um, started to land some clients, then I started putting dollars in because we had some revenue. Um, and so I think for those of you listening, you know, you don't always have to invest dollars first, but there's probably going to be a time sacrifice. And I was at a point in my life where I could put in that extra time. I didn't have, uh, you know, other family responsibilities and other things pulling me in, in those directions. Um, but there is always, you know, 9 PM to midnight or midnight to 3 AM. I mean, if you really want to grow and you're really chasing those things, like to me, that's what it comes down to. It's either time or dollars. And so I think just thinking about what do you want to invest? And it's, it's one of those. So, um, but I like, um, you know, I guess for those thinking, Hey, I want to invest, but I don't have the money, you know, Brooks, I know there's a few different ways that you can go about that. What are some things that people can consider if they're trying to find some money to invest in lead gen or, or something like that? I mean, I think one of the best things you can do and it's a mistake that I, I made and continue to make throughout, you know, our career, I didn't reach out to uh, friends and family, people who wanted to get a return on their money until very near the end, the end of our business and just say, hey, we can provide a return. This is, you know, this is what we're doing. And maybe you need a hundred grand and to get things rolling and you're going to pay that person simple interest on a monthly basis and then they'll get their principal back in 24 or 36 months or something there's different so there's you know you can you can tap people that you might know that are looking for a greater return than one and a half percent you know in the in the bond market or something in the current market today um we still do that with friends and family where they have notes on properties we own when they're making you know four or five percent and um it's good for them. It's good for us. Uh, the other option is we use to a great effect. We use the HELOCs, home equity line of credits on our personal residences. So I think when we first started, you know, I think our first HELOC was $15,000, you know, back in the day, but we would use the heck out of that HELOC to finance lead generation and things like that. And we pay it back and and that's another way to do it. If you, you know, if you don't have any equity anywhere because you're just starting, then it's, you really need to go to friends and family and see some and have a business plan and have, yeah, here's how we're going to do it. And this is our startup and, and maybe someone will loan you 20 grand or something. And maybe you can use that to bootstrap your way up, but that, that, you're not going to get a loan from a bank. You're not, there's going to be no SBA loan for construction. Those are not, you know, skip that whole program. So you're, 
um, those are the two places I would look, you know, friends and family and, um, and then your own personal equity, if you have any, any equity to start with. It sounds like Brooks though. I mean, did you guys, did you guys ever do any networking or things like that working local business groups or chamber of commerce, or any of those kinds of things that didn't require dollars, but did require time. As Spencer was saying, you know, you got time, money, um, but if you have absolutely no money and no one will lend you money, friends and family, are there any strategies out there to kind of get things rolling so you can, you know, all you need is one or two customers and then maybe get a referral and so on. But um, yeah, that is a good point. And we, you know, we were not involved in Rotary. We were involved in the Chamber of Commerce in our local town. So that was a volunteer and um, that, I think that was, um, was helpful. Uh, that would be another way to do that. Um, you know, interesting, Spencer, your idea of using LinkedIn. I mean, that would be a quicker way that you can do it in off hours where right. you're not having to go to an event. I mean, because if you're, you know, you, if you're very cl- close to beginning your business where you're, you've got the tools on, you've got the bags on still, you're, and you're running everything, you know, breaking for lunch to go to something probably yeah. not going to happen. Um, yeah. And depending if you have, you know, a partner to help you in the business where you can divide up duties or you maybe have a, a spouse who could help you, you know, who could do some of those things uh, to help carry that load, you know, doing them in off hours, you know, that has probably greater leverage now than what traditionally Wes, you and I would have done, which would have been, oh, you'll be a member of Rotary, you'll go to the Chamber of Commerce, you might do Toastmasters, different things where you get your name out there. But I think yeah. the, the big challenges, though, is that for a lot of remodelers and you know small business people is that they they have some measure of success in networking or whatever they get some business in the door it makes them kind of busy and then they can't do those activities anymore so then oh i'm too busy to go ahead and do my lead gen and now i don't have any leads and so they end up in this you know many many years of probably just looping in that cycle and they can't break out so I think maybe what we're talking about today is, hey, what are some strategies to get that lead flow to be consistent? Because that's what you need, right? I mean, you've got to be a marketing-driven organization yeah. to make it work. Yeah, you need to. I think that maybe the key is the key thing that comes out of this this show today is that you you have to be a sales-driven operation, no matter what you produce. And if I had learned that much earlier, yeah, I think it would have been it would have been more successful earlier on. So yeah, you come at, if you come at it from the craft, well, Hey, I, I know, I know how to put things together. I know how to build cabinets. I know how to install. I know how to technically take care of the customer. And yeah, then you're not going to, you're not going to make it to that next step. You'll be pretty successful at a lower volume, but you have to be willing to expand and grow about yourself and say, Hey, I can become a marketer. I can learn how to do this. It's not rocket science. You know, if I really want to grow and take it to the next level, I have to grow myself and figure out how to get this done. Yeah. And I was thinking about that time component, you know, you guys mentioned the networking groups and then obviously LinkedIn didn't exist, you know, when maybe you guys were at different periods of time in your business looking to grow. And I was able to leverage that channel. And I think that channel could be powerful for people today, especially if you're trying to network in with, you know, uh, business professionals, you know, 
um, kind of high paying career type, um, you know, people, if you're trying to work your way into those higher dollar jobs. Uh, but another thing that's time-based, I think a lot of people overlook is just, you know, canvassing and write, you know, writing letters and you can go drop them off, you know, uh, one by one, if you really want to save on the postage, but you can also, um, you know, you could probably hire a high school kid to go run around and drop, you know, and do a nice little handwritten letter. Hey, we're doing, doing some work in your area. If you need, you know, more help, you know, and, and drop it off, um, kind of the pardon our dust type stuff. But if you're really bootstrapping it, I mean, you can run around the neighborhood and drop those off. And, um, and that would be another way to kind of look at that time angle if you don't have the, the dollars. Um, that being said, Spence, uh, yeah, I was just going to say that's, that's a, a good idea. And we do, you know, a lot of remodelers and builders do those types of things. But I think I'll always be looking for, since you've only got 24 hours in a day, look for those opportunities. If you're really going to be using your time and not dollars, then you have to be as efficient as possible and really be um, proactive, not proactive, I guess, um, thoughtful about what are the best ways to do that to leverage your time the most. Otherwise, you know, it's really going to be hard to get enough traction. I'm going to give you a little, well, actually a big piece of insight that most construction companies don't even realize. Nearly all of the problems you encounter in your projects and business have one thing in common, communication or lack thereof. Think about the last time a project went sideways. I'm guessing if you traced it back to its source, it had something to do with a miss or miscommunication. In fact, 72% of client unhappiness is directly attributed to poor communication during projects. Needless to say, good communication needs to be a priority in your business. And that's especially true with everything that's happening around us today. BuildBook has created a simple solution that makes communicating with your clients and team incredibly easy so nothing slips through the cracks. And as a reminder, they've also made it 100% free for you to use during this uncertain climate we're currently in. So hit pause right now and text BuildBook, one word, to 33777 and they'll send you a link to sign up. All right, let's get back to the show. I think the um, the you know the pardon your pardon our dust idea is you, you can something like that you can think okay how can I quickly get uh, marketing you know pushed down to help you know if you have let's say you have a lead a lead carpenter and you know part of a part of in our company lead carpenter his job was to go up and down the street when he started that job so it wasn't you know me personally it was whoever going to do the carpet work and he would have to go and he'd give a broom to each person and say you know pardon our dust we're going to be in the area here's our information and uh and you know give a call if you have any questions so you got up and down that whole street and that way uh that was leveraging our time because i didn't have time to go do that for every job we started and um so it's thinking about how can other people in your operation help you market and sell if you have anybody else in your operation in the beginning it's 24 hours a day just to get going yeah 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 it's a good point you know if it's just you then you that's all you got but yeah as soon as you start to have some other resources or you know team members people that can help um that's a a really good point and and that kind of leads me into something i was thinking about too because 
we talked about, you know, Brooks, I think you hit the nail on the head. You got to be a sales focused organization. I think a big part of that is that it's, it's project driven. So you can, you know, sell 2 million one year and you can immediately the next year drop to half a million if you just don't continue to sell that same dollar amount. So you really have to have those lead gen and sales systems dialed in. Uh, But I think the question that comes up is, you know, when do I make the leap to hire or add overhead? You know, so I've gone from one to 1.5 to two, and then, you know, knowing that you could immediately drop down, you know, how do you, how do you make that call? Or when do you make that call to say, okay, yeah, we're ready for our next hire, or we're ready to move into more office space or add a showroom or, you know, those types of things. I, I, I don't know how Brooks would answer. I'd just say you'd need to know, you'd have to uh, be pretty confident about your sustainability of your volume at a particular level, whatever level that is. So if you're able to maintain 1.5 or one or whatever that level is, and you've been able to do that, then you can say, okay, well now I can start to ratchet up. And um, cause I know I can support the overhead I have, and now I can take an incremental step forward. I don't know. What do you say, Brooks? Yeah. I mean, you just have to, you have to know and have done the research and say, okay, I've been in business for two years or three years or, and, and I've generated, you know, this volume and that volume is made up of these types of, you know, these types of jobs, this size, this client and you and where, and where they came from. So this type of client, this size type of job, where they came from. And you can take that and extrapolate it. You say, okay, I spent X amount of dollars to get this type of work. And then I'm going to have to spend this type of dollars, you know, and more to get more of that kind of work. And if you have, if you have good data, then you'll know, okay, if I, if I, I had a hundred leads last year and I converted 10 of them and that generated this amount of volume, how do I get 150 leads? to generate, you know, then to get 15 of them to generate, you know, the next level of volume. And then it's just simple math. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to do this volume next year based on us generating more leads, you know, similar closing ratios. And then we can go ahead and grow, but you have to know your numbers and you just have to know your numbers. You cannot guess. And you don't need to guess now with, with computers and having access to, Data. I mean, whoever's answering the phone can be like, oh, how did you hear, hear about us? And then, and what we always did is on a weekly basis, every lead that was in, every lead that was in play had a dollar volume with them. It's like, oh, the Smiths, bathroom, 50,000, you know, the, the Thompsons, you know, kitchen, 100,000. So you are always, we are always looking at what was the sales volume in the pipeline. And we knew what our conversion ratios were. And then you just you just know. So, Brooks, did you guys spend much time thinking about? Um, and this is like a, a step back from lead generation, but thinking about your trade area, your market area. Um, did you spend much time thinking about, hey, how far afield am I really going to go? Um, what's the most efficient trade area? And then, is there enough volume within that trade area? You know, competitors, things like that. We absolutely did. And especially you know, being in the Seattle market, we are very constrained by traffic. And so our, uh, I mean, that's our biggest constraint. Um, we're geographically, geographically constrained by water and mountains, and then we're constrained by traffic. Um, 
I think we're up to now, you know, the worst traffic in the country. So we did Congratulations. it Congratulations. Yeah. Hey, we're number one. <laughs> um, and we did it by time. We would not go anywhere. It took longer than an hour to get to. Okay. So then we just, we, so we drew a ring, you know, a circle and said, you know, we just cannot get to these towns efficiently. So that, that constrained our trade area. And then we targeted in by zip code by, since we were in real estate and we knew what types of jobs we wanted and we knew what type of real estate values supported those jobs. We just targeted in by zip code. And then we targeted in even closer by, Oh, within this zip code, this is the you know, this is the, the value of homes that we want to target. And then we would in that game, I mean, we still, uh, still did direct mail and mailed in um, to those areas. I mean, you could use Valpac or something very similar and just you know, target it right in there. Um, and we did that. We did uh, Valpac, which is the coupon based mailer. And we did that for our care and repair division, our handyman division. So yeah, we definitely were constrained by, we would not go beyond a certain area to, uh, to do a job. And then because resources are, are short, you know, you can't send a lead, a lead two hours to go do a job. You just can't do it. Did you guys ever do any analysis around, you know, uh, you talked about targeting on zip codes and, hey, what's the value of the house and how many houses are, did you guys ever do any analysis of how many jobs you could expect to pull out of um, particular neighborhoods or areas in a year? Or did you guys ever do any analysis around competitors and how many competitors the area could support you know, so is it a zero sum game within your market area? You know, there's only probably, so much probably, work. It and... probably is a zero sum game. And we would always look at our competitors. Yeah. And um, we would always look at, you know, we would look at who's in our market. You just by driving around as you drive around in your market areas, you look at signage and, and uh, you know, we would, anytime we did a job, we dropped, you know, a million signs all over the place that we were, we were there and uh, you know, we're here working, don't bother, you know? And so, Kind of tried to elbow everybody else out so we had some friendly uh, competition with other builders and other remodelers as you're trying to get into the market and and say hey we're here we're doing all the remodeling work in this in this neighborhood um and but then the we never did any really deep dive into okay how much remodeling volume or new home sales volume or custom home volume because you always out. felt that you had sufficient volume I mean, to, to meet your growth, you kept growing, obviously yeah, we never felt pretty like low we, volumes or pretty high volume. Yeah. We never felt like we had to go out of our, what we consider our trade area to get mm -hmm. the growth we wanted. Um, and even while in our trade area, another regional remodeler came into the market and, you know, they were better marketers than, than we, we always were. And they were better, they had a better and a better sales system. And they, they grew just right along with us and showing you that there was probably much more room for us to grow than we did. Just um, then we took advantage of because they, they grew right along with us and ended up being bigger than, than we ended up being. I guess maybe that shows you the importance of your systems, right? I mean, you're saying, oh, okay, well, they had a better sales system. They had a better marketing system yep. uh, and they grew faster. They did. So, yeah. I mean, uh, that, you know, you're just expanding the pie by being better at, at right. 
Yeah. And what I'm hearing you guys say too, just uh, is the, the tracking is so important, you know, because what you said is Brooks is basically just works out to math. You know, if you know, if you know what your raw lead count to close deal number is, you know, then you know exactly how many leads you need to generate. And then of course you want to break it down by channel and you can look at how much those channels are costing you to generate those types of leads. But at the end of the day, it's a, you know, a raw lead will lead to an appointment and that'll lead to a design agreement and that'll lead to construction. But uh, you, you can basically boil it down to those, that top number and that bottom number. And, you know, if you dump, you know, 30 leads in the top, you know, a bunch will get disqualified and then, you know, one will eventually make it to the bottom or whatever your, your numbers are. Uh, but once you know that you have clarity around what you need to do next, is that kind of what you're saying? You should have clarity around your, your lead and, um, you know, you, you, you know how many leads that you need to bring in, how, you know, how many are going to convert to a, a first call, second call appointment, uh, design contract, you do a final contract. And, and what does that, you know, what does that lead look like? Age, income, you know, uh, type of work they do. And you can really drill down and say, okay, this is kind of our ideal or our typical client. You may want to change your client. You may want to say, gee, this is our typical client today. We don't really like that client type, so we're going to change that. But you want to know so you can continue to target that or change it uh, so you're not targeting a client that you don't want anymore. And I think at the beginning, you know, if you're just getting going, you can it doesn't have to be super complicated. You can keep track of it on a pad of paper. I mean, or just put it in an Excel spreadsheet and, uh, you know, just something super basic and easy. Um, but you got to start somewhere, you know, eventually you'll want to get to more sophisticated systems that do a lot of the, um, uh, tracking that you really need, but Hey, you can start, got to start somewhere. So write it down. So kind of, I mean, we are, our CRM, um, contact relationship management software was our most critical thing. First thing we did is we got the cheapest version of Salesforce. You know, and now there's a lot more different types of ones you can use that are less. Um, but by the time we were done, we had 5,000, I think we we're up to 7,000 contacts in that, in that database. And we just worked that database. Um, and so that's what I thought was one of our most valuable things was that, that database. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people still overlook that, uh, that email list and that contact database, because we always think that if you do a project for somebody, they'll remember us forever, but it's so, they forget so easily. And I think too, you know, if you're ever thinking about an exit strategy for your business, you know, in the remodeling business, if you've got a super solid database of all your past clients and all the people that ever reached out and you're able to you know, show that you have a marketing system to go to that well and to pull out jobs and, and get business. That's a lot of value right there versus saying, well, you know, I've got a, I've got an office, I've got a yard, I've got a sign out front, <laughs> you know, um, that's fine, but that's not going to provide the value that a buyer of your remodeling business would want, which is, Hey, they got a database, they got a system. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. So I'm going to shift us here a little bit. I've got two kind of, uh, I think what are important questions to kind of wrap us up for today. And, and one is on the idea of organic growth versus accelerated growth. And 
you know, I think it's an interesting question because you got to think about a lot of times when you think about accelerated growth, you might be choosing intentionally to uh, limit profitability, or that might be lower because you're reinvesting dollars back into the business, or you might be going to get some money from outside and then you're having to pay, uh, you know, interest on that money or whatever that is. And, uh, but I guess I'm curious how, how do you guys think about, you know, organic growth versus accelerated growth and balancing profitability during that trajectory, whether that's higher or lower, or are you always trying to maintain it at the, you know, industry standard or, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, Brooks, maybe you can kick us off here and, yeah, I, I don't even believe in organic growth. I think that, <laughs> I just totally disagree with it I, because I, I believe organic growth is no growth. Sure. So I, I think that's a non-strategy. So I feel pretty strongly about it. I didn't realize I felt strongly about it until you brought it up. Yeah. Organic growth sucks. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think it depends on how you define organic. I mean, because right. a lot of times you think about organic, you're like, oh, well, what happens happens kind of. That's and how I, I think. And if, so if you define organic like that, I, yeah, what Brooks is saying. Well, so maybe I would. Maybe it's a question: is if intentional growth mm-hmm. versus accelerated intentional growth? Um, I, I yeah, would, yeah, I maybe that's a better question. Yeah, and I guess the way I was thinking about organic is maybe saying, "Hey, I'm going to try to maintain, you know, the industry standard for profitability and." maximize my marketing dollars in that part of my budget and continue to grow. Whereas I I guess sometimes when I think about accelerated, you're saying, okay, I'm going to maybe decrease my profitability uh, in an effort to get to a certain level. Um, But I don't know, maybe you guys think about it differently altogether. I I don't know if I think about it as decreasing your profitability. I think, you know, Brooks has talked a lot about maintaining your margins and those types of things. You know, you want to maintain your margins. But maybe another way to look at it, maybe that's what you're saying, Spence, is, hey, I'm going to take, you know, this year I'm taking X number of dollars and I'm reinvesting that in accelerated growth in a marketing program um, in order to move the business forward. So you're, you're still profitable. You're still making the same profit, but you're going to take some of that profit and you're going to reinvest it in the business versus, you know, um, just spending, you know, eating it up. It depends what you're going to do with your retained earnings in your business. Yeah. So, you know, are you just, are you in, and being that construction tends to be very capital intensive. Um, you know, in our history of our company, we didn't distribute a lot of retained earnings year over year. We kept it in the business because we needed that capital to continue to buy land, um, you know, fund, fund construction, fund development. So uh, depending on how capital intensive everyone's business is, determines how much retained earnings you can distribute out. Again, it goes back to your very first goals that Wes brought up is what are your goals? You know, what's your income goals for personal income? You know, what are you expecting a return to be out of that business, um, a net operating income, and what you want to distribute out of your retained earnings? Um, So let's assume that you, you know, you've got $100,000 in retained earnings. Well, one, you could distribute all of it and then have that in your personal checkbook. Or you could say, well, I'm going to take some of this retained earnings and I'm going to, I'm going to take 25 grand and I'm going to use it for lead generation and some different things in this year. I'm expecting to see additional growth, additional net operating income, and I'll make X amount more, which I can then return that 25 grand and I'll actually have you know more money after that. Um, I, yeah, I, I would probably question 
taking lower lower net operating you know net operating income or low end profits to to grow why yeah. why you, know, you should be able especially in the construction business and the home building business you should be able to maintain your margins and grow I, yeah that's, that's right true. yeah I, I don't think those are exclusive and I think it's important to make sure that you know separate if you own the business and you're running the business separate wear two different hats where your um, owner hat and um, the operator hat so when you're wearing the operator hat you're going okay well as the operator i should take a salary of x that's what would happen in the industry you know for running this type of an organization you know i should be making 100 grand a year 120 80 whatever it happens to be 200 um, but that's what this position pays and then put that right into your statement pay yourself that what's left over you should still meet industry standard for profitability and then you can decide what to do with that profitability so then you can say okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna plow uh 50 back in i'm gonna keep you know the rest in retained earnings or i'm gonna plow 90 percent back in and reinvest um it's interesting that book i mentioned at the top of the program uh, good profit by charles Koch. so he says man the reason we grew is we took 90 percent of all of our profitability and it all went back into the business to fund new research, new endeavors. But you can be sure that everyone got paid and paid yeah, well. Pay you know, yeah. so always pay yourself first, um, and then then measure your profitability after that. If you don't, then you're kind of you're fooling yourself as to what. Well, you're and, and I, I feel pretty strongly that if you're not willing to pay yourself, who else is willing to pay you? Right. I strongly believe that. So you have to put into your your P and L, your profit and loss. Hey, I'm I'm operating as a general manager. Then I I need to get paid whatever general manager gets paid, and there should be then a correct industry profit at uh, for net operating income at the end of the year. So then you're able to test your your business model. Well, one, can I afford to pay somebody to do this work as a general manager? And there should be a return at the end of the day. If you know, if there's no return, then really you just have a job as a general manager and you could maybe do that for someone else to make more money. Or uh, have less risk. <laughs> it, yeah, and less risk. You know, so that's the, those are just like, you know, feel really strongly about those two comments. And you can, if you're paying yourself a salary, then you get to take advantage of the fact that you're paying into Social Security. You're able mm -hmm. to contribute to your 401k that you can set up, which is, you know, pre-tax. And so there's a, some other things it will have long-term benefits. So you have to be thinking about all of those about besides just being, well, I like being in business for myself because I like to set my own hours. Well, you know, there's a lot of jobs now you can set your own hours that and make pretty good money. Whereas, you know, it wasn't that way 30, 40 years, 40 years ago. And if you're really looking to, to exit the business at some point, if your business isn't structured in such a way that someone else couldn't come in to that role. I mean, if you haven't allowed enough money for that role of the general manager or whoever's running the organization, then you really can't expect anyone to ever be able to buy that business as, as an investment. I mean, if you think about it, they'd just be buying a job. If they're going, okay, you know, Brooks is the general manager and um, he's, you know, I'm just going to step in and take his place. And that's what I'm buying. So you're buying a job. Um, so that's not really where the value of your business really is. You got to be able to say, yeah, there's enough money and, and juice in this operation that I can have somebody else be the general manager and I can be, I can be the owner. I can choose to do both roles, but I don't have to.
Yeah, that could be that could be one of your strategies, which is, hey, I want to grow to the size where I can step out of the manager role and I'm paying a general manager, and yet the business is large enough or produces the correct net operating income and that dollar amount I can you know take as a distribution, and that's that's what I live on. Yeah, 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 and uh, I'm glad I asked the question because a couple of things came out of this, which I mean, really, it all starts with. Brooks, something you've hit on a few times today, which is you've got to maintain your profit margins and your NOI, because as soon as you do that, then those dollars are left for, hey, now I want to grow. I want to get to the next level. And a lot of people choose to invest those dollars back in the business because they typically see a higher return there than, say, somewhere else. Um, not always, but you can often do that. And you have a little more control since you you know the business. So yeah, if you think... Think about it. You could say, "Hey, man, I'm going to take." Uh, so let's say you had an extra twenty thousand bucks. You know, at the end of the year, you can say, "Well, I could put that in CDs and make one and a half percent, or I could take twenty thousand bucks and I can generate X number of leads, and that will produce this amount of business that'll drive that much more profitability." So you can kind of think of what your investment options are. I guess yeah, maybe, for your yeah, maybe you say, "Well, I can make ten percent." You know. On- yeah. On, on that 25 grand I reinvest because I can generate this many leads and I know how many leads I can close and I know what the dollar volume is and I know what the margins are. Yeah. Um, those are the, again, those key things. Um, and I think for, for listeners, if they're like, you know, um, I'm just out there, we got the tools on, I'm trying to figure out how to grow my business. It's that just sitting down in, in a quiet spot, at, you know, at lunch or whatever and thinking about, okay, well, where did my last 12 months of business of, leads come from? Where do I think they came from? Um, where do I, and uh, who did I close and, and what kind of jobs have I worked on? And I mean, you can do that on a pad of paper and just by sitting down and trying to remind yourself or asking whoever you work with or, and uh, think about those clients just on your rent, on your current role. Okay. Where do these people come from? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. All right, guys, final, final question. And uh, Wes, we'll, we'll kick it off with you and then we'll wrap for today. But uh, is growth always good? Why or why not? <laughs> um, no, no, I don't think growth is always good. There's good growth and bad growth. So I think you just got to split the definition between good growth and bad growth. Of course, good growth is always good. Um, but bad growth is growth where you're growing your top line, you're not growing your bottom line. Um, you're chasing your tail. So I, that's the way I would split. I'd say there's good growth and bad growth. Make sure you understand the difference between the two for your business. For well, that's business. interesting because I would say, I would always say growth is good, but it's with the assumption that I'm always making money. <laughs> growing. That's and right. So I think that's what, so I would jump right to, yeah, growth is good, but I demand to make money. Yeah. There's a lot, of, a lot of folks that have made money at a million bucks and haven't made any money at two million in rev. Right? Yeah, and we, especially in the home building business, it's all about you know, about margin. I mean, it is in, in remodeling and custom homes too. But when you're doing volume in home building, you're like, well, I'm doing thirty houses. I'm making a you know a twenty percent uh, margin, so I might as well do forty or fifty houses because I'll just maintain my margin. Well, there's some some great analysis where it's like, what if you just increased your margin? from 15 to 18% on 30 houses, you might only have to build 33 houses instead of 40 because all of a sudden you're making you know, that incremental change. So growth is good with good margins. 
and then I guess go back to us, which is yeah, bad growth is growth with no margins. Yeah. Cool. That's good. Called, good point. Called, uh, that's called volunteer work. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that. Would you love, right? <laughs> I do not do, I do not, I'm not a volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, thank you guys. I think uh, this was a good, good episode and a lot of good conversation around growth. I mean, it goes back to that why, but then lots of things that you can do to control that growth. And, and then of course, just where we wrapped, you know, making sure you're hitting your margins. Um, but for all of you listening, if this episode maybe got you to think outside the box a little bit or helped you in any way, we'd appreciate you sharing it with a friend or a colleague, help spread the word. And we will see you next week for another episode of Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation around how to grow your construction business. And as always, I want to pull out a couple of takeaways for you. The first one was around metrics and knowing your numbers. And so if you want to grow, you've got to know those conversion rates from leads to appointments, appointments to sales. And that way, when you say, hey, I'm trying to go from 2 million to 2.5, and you know there's a differential in sales, you also know what that means for you from a lead count as well. And so then you can position your marketing activities around that number of leads and that goal number that you need to get to. So knowing your metrics and knowing those conversion rates is really, really important. And the other takeaway I thought was a really good point, which was not letting ego get in the way and that it's not all about top line revenue. And that if you are focusing on the bottom line, then that will free up more cash to invest in growth uh, in the top line, if that's what you really want. And so don't get hung up around needing to get to a certain top line revenue number. If your bottom line isn't looking that good, just getting to, you know, going from 2 million to 3 million, you're just going to be more stressed out and not making any more money. So I think that was a huge takeaway in terms of this conversation around growth, which is nail down the bottom line, nail down your margins, you know, your markup, make sure you're making enough on the job you're doing now and that will fuel your future growth. So thanks again for listening, guys. We'll see you next week for another episode of Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio.